0: And I think we've had a pretty good message so far in all the hymns that we have sung and what we have shared together. Just want to say, uh, I don't know if uh, Bill and Mariana are here this evening, but uh, they've provided all the flowers for us, uh, the ones outside and around the front of the church. and Just aren't they beautiful what, when we see God's creation um, at work? This is... Uh, It's beautiful. So thank you so much. And again, thank you to everybody who's helped with the church. So a verse that we want to uh, look at this evening is found in uh, John's Gospel chapter 1. I think it's verse 4. We'll look at it in just a moment. This evening we're going to do basically, and some of you will be starting to quake in your boots already, a survey of John's gospel in a certain direction which will be revealed. But obviously there's uh, some uh, 23 verses or so, uh, chapters rather, uh, that we can look at. We won't have time to look at all of them, but we want to be able to start. And the starting point is found here in John's gospel chapter 1 and verse 4. It's very short. It's very to the point. It's not complicated. It's something that we can all understand. Even the youngest people here. Even the older people whose minds are closing down and beginning to fail to work as properly as they should do. We can understand what is being spoken of here. So verse 4, chapter 1 says, In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So two words. Life and light. Life and light. And that's the theme, or that's what will be set for us as we begin to look through uh, this uh, wonderful, wonderful gospel of John's. I thoroughly enjoy John's gospel. We've spent about three years studying it here. I hope we can remember some of the highlights. Um, How sad it is that so many people today are not just prepared to live in darkness, But they prefer to live in darkness. They don't want the light of the gospel, the light of God, to shine into their hearts and into their lives. So they're prepared to not just live in darkness, but that's what they want to do. They prefer to live in darkness. Now what sort of darkness are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the very worst sort of darkness that you could possibly find yourself living in. The darkness that stops you, that stops them from ever seeing or enjoying the wonderful light of knowing God. And knowing his love. And knowing a deep down and almost unimaginable joy. Joy unspeakable. That only comes from knowing God. And that's what they don't want to know. And from this verse... The incredible and indescribable life that is given to all those who are prepared to cry out for salvation, to cry out to God and to call to Him, and then to respond to His undeserved love and mercy. So, the text and the statement that we have, that we've read together, that we have from God directly, that we have before us right now, is utterly overwhelming if you would but just take a moment to listen to God, and I mean not just hear the words, but to listen. My kids hear me speaking. That doesn't mean they're listening. And maybe that's the position you're in the seat. Oh yeah, you've heard the stuff, the gospel. But you never actually listened to it. It's never actually gone further in here to reach here. And you've never responded to him. Because he's been faithful in calling you. He's been faithful in speaking to you. Why is this text of such magnitude to us? What does this text promise us? What happens to us as we allow God through the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us? What's it all about? Well, God is speaking. And he's saying to you, through my son, Jesus, your state of spiritual death can be changed into spiritual life. You don't have to stay dead. You can come alive. That's what God is saying. God is saying that your state of total darkness, your inability to see the light of God, your inability to even sense, to even see a shadow of the joy that God has for you. All of this repressive and heavy and crushing darkness can be taken away and replaced with the wonderful light Of his glorious and loving and unimaginably kind son, Jesus Christ. You see, those who indeed do trust in Jesus Christ, those who are fully prepared to admit that they are in total darkness, spiritually speaking, those who do, indeed, suddenly and unexplainably, from the world's perspective, can't understand what's going on. Suddenly, they find their lives are flooded with light. The light of Christ. Suddenly, they find that all their darkness is taken away. Because the moment you, you, you light. I was going to say a cigarette lighter, but I don't smoke. So, so, why would I say that? That's strange. You take a match in a black, darkened room. And a tiny match changes everything. Because suddenly the light drives the darkness away. Because suddenly it's replaced by the brilliance of knowing Jesus Christ personally, a young guy in a family. They're not saved. He goes to university, he meets other Christians, and they talk and they explain what it is to know the life of Christ, what it is to have the light of Christ in their lives and he talks and he listens and he talks and he listens and he talks and he listens and then suddenly the light floods in and the darkness is driven away and he goes home and his parents are thinking what's gone wrong, he's found religion they consider taking him to a psychiatrist there must be something wrong with our son because all of a sudden he's changed he's kind, he's gracious, he's loving What's gone wrong? And he explains that he's no longer living in darkness. He's living in light. He explains and they can't understand. And his mum and dad are saying, whatever is it that's happened here? Because he's now saying he's no longer dead. He's alive. Well, we know he's been alive. We produced him. And he's saying that he's alive. Well, what's, what's happened? Well, what's happened is this. The life... And the light of Jesus has flooded into his heart and has changed him. All of a sudden, you're able to say, as Job of old did, for I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Do you know your Redeemer? Have you met him? Do you know his life in your life? Do you know his light in your life? Or do you want to continue walking in darkness? fumbling around trying to do the right things trying to be loved and liked by everybody and it's fleeting you see job had seen the light and he's received life and you can do the same Christ the light of the world and Christ The Prince of Life reveals and releases the brilliance of his life, sustaining power to all who trust and believe in him. The Apostle John penned as the Holy Spirit guided and led and inspired him to write the gospel that we have before us and John's theme is found in John 20 verses 30 and 31 and you might be fed up with me quoting these verses but we have to and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book because there wasn't enough time and space to do so but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, John simply could not have made matters clearer for us, could he? If you truly believe in Jesus, then you can have life. And not any old life at that, but life in his name. In other words, the very life of Jesus is for us. So in the remainder of the time, I have to peer because someone's put the clock in it. I need a telescope to see it. I don't know. It was a bad move. For okay. I, I, take that, I take that as an indication that the clock is no longer to, to, to dominate anything here this evening. So we're going to go through this as quickly as we can. But the clock has, time has flown away. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, the battery's fallen out as well. Things are looking up. So when we turn to John chapter 2, and if you have your Bibles, uh, please do this, and we're just literally going to skip through different, uh, uh, different, thank you, that might be close enough, but I'm going to pop my Bible on top, okay, so as we, uh, as we turn to John chapter 2. In John chapter 1, Jesus has just finished calling the disciples and the last disciple that he called and is recorded for us in John 1 is a man called Nathanael and Jesus has just asked Nathanael the question and the same question that he's asking you right now. If you're listening, he says in verse 50, Nathanael, do you believe? And Nathanael had answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And then we come to chapter 2, and this brand new band of disciples were invited to a wedding. Now, that's a great way to start. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and you go to a wedding, and there's food, and it's enjoyment. And weddings, I think, in those days were a week-long affair, and it was a joy to be able to go along. As It was held in Cana of Galilee, and as the festivities continued, there's a problem appearing. The wine is running short. And Jesus' mother comes to him and explains that the wine is running out. In fact, it's all gone. You know, things are looking grim. And here at the wedding feast, our Lord Jesus performs a miracle. Now you might have been wondering to yourself, what's this miracle all about? Why was the first miracle changing water into wine? Well, it's this. The miracle is that Jesus gives life to ordinary water. He takes the water from the well and he gives it life. It's no longer just ordinary water. In fact, it has become the very best wine that they have tasted. And there's complaints. Why have you kept the best wine till last? Normally, you do it the other way around. Jesus' first miracle shines out to proclaim that life with him is joyful. The wine here represents the happiness and the joy. Jesus takes the ordinary, the mundane, and he makes it rich with promise. The Lord said in John 10.10, 10, I have come that you may have life. And what? Abundantly. You see, Christians are far from being miserable people. Sometimes I wonder when I look at faces from up here. But we've nothing to be miserable about. We've got everything to be joyful about. Why? Why? Because in Jesus, we have the joy of knowing Jesus and the joy of the assurance of knowing that in Jesus, we already have eternal life and not just quantity of life, but his life. Jesus living in us. Jesus living in us. When we turn over to John 3, we see that Jesus not only could bring life to ordinary water but he brought life to people a very religious man we hear a lot about uh, nicodemus uh, he was uh, you know at the top of the pile when it came to being a pharisee and he was the one that was part of the uh, people that told the others how to live their lives And he comes to Jesus at night, I don't know if that was just the only time he could find or whether he didn't want other people to see, I I don't know, and it doesn't really matter. Perhaps it was just cooler at night, and it was a good opportunity to come and have a chat. And he comes at night to talk to Jesus about some spiritual matters that have been worrying him, niggling away in his heart, niggling away in his life, causing him concern. Nicodemus had understood that Jesus was special. And there are many of us who know Jesus is special, but we're still not listening. We we hear what he has to say, and sometimes we listen to a little bit, but we're still not listening as we should be. He's been watching Jesus, and he's concluded that there was no one who could perform the miracles that Jesus had performed. And so Nicodemus concluded that Jesus must have been somehow in some way, but he's not sure he had to be connected to God somehow. And he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. So there's that connection. Nicodemus knew something. But he just did not believe. There are some of you sitting here. Or there are people listening online, watching online. They know something, but they don't believe. Nor do they want to believe. Perhaps you could be called a Nicodemus. And our Lord immediately explains to Nicodemus what his problem is. As we saw this morning, there's no sort of pages of small print attached to the Bible that once you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus, you then have to go through all all the taking out a credit agreement and all the rest of it and the, the small print designed to catch you out. No, 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 no. Jesus doesn't work that way. He tells it to us straight. And that's why some people prefer to stay in the darkness. Because they don't like the honesty, the truthfulness that Jesus presents. So our Lord immediately explains to Nicodemus what his problem is. In verse 3, we see that Jesus looks at him and simply says, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, there's no hope to see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see the light of Christ. Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you will just stay in darkness. And Jesus makes the same statement to us today. Without a new birth, you cannot see. And you cannot live. Yes, we've been born physically. We can tell that because we're all sat here. And I would hope that most of us have been born spiritually. But not all of us, perhaps. Yes, we can see the light of the sun, but we cannot see the light of the glory of God. Nicodemus was a Pharisee from Judea. And eventually he found the secret of life in Christ. Eventually, as we see him waiting and then working hard, to take the body of our Lord Jesus from the cross, he was born again. And then we move to John chapter 4. Jesus meets a woman at the well. He's seated beside the well in a town called Sychar. It's hot. We're told it's the middle of the day. And this woman comes alone to draw water. And as we read the account... We can tell that there's sadness here. Something tells us that this woman is unhappy. She immediately cannot understand why a Jew would even speak to her, but he does. Because he loves her. But he doesn't love her sin. And that's the issue that we face so often. As we look around our societies today. She talks with Jesus and as a result... There at the well, she places her trust in Jesus' words. And she finds life and light. And it's so intense and it's so brilliant that it is like a well of water that's just flooding up inside her. And as it floods up inside her, she can't help but go and tell other people about it. And that's how it should be with us. And so she goes to the town to Sychar. And she goes and she talks to people and the people are surprised and they're wondering why she's talking to them. Because they've been avoiding her. And suddenly she explains to them about Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that as a result of her testimony, many people believed. Because of what she had said. And then again in John 4, a nobleman's son was healed by the power of Jesus. And the incident leads to the man's entire household believing in Jesus. You might have children that aren't saved. And you've been praying for decades. God loves families. And he hears your prayer. And you need to continue to pray for them the nobleman was a man of influence but he comes to jesus for life jesus appealed to nicodemus's mind he appealed to the samaritan woman's conscience and he appealed to the nobleman's heart but all with the intention that they would trust in him and as we read these incidences we see clearly light being given light shining we see That living in Christ is to live a spiritual life. What does Christ do for us when we come to Him and place our hope and our trust and our belief in Him? What does He do? He does everything. He changes everything. When we believe and come to faith in Jesus, then we receive from Him freely, without cost. The greatest gift that can be dis- bestowed on anyone. We go back to chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. The life was the light of men. When we believe and come to faith in Jesus, we receive from him freely. We receive from him light And life. And where does this lead? This leads us to relationship. We're not interested in religion. We're interested in relationship. We're not interested in being told what to do, what to say, where to go, what not to say, what not to do, where not to go. We're interested in relationship with Jesus. Yes, this is personal. And truthfully, religion can never introduce us to relationship with Jesus. Yes, we try by doing things or not doing things, but it always fails. You see, when the life of Christ is within us, we have new life. And we have relationship, and this relationship changes everything. We're no longer fearful. We're no longer fighting against God as if we thought we could ever win. We no longer live in rebellion to Him and to His Word. Everything changes. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we move to John chapter 5 and we see that trusting in Jesus brings life to the helpless. For many years, a poor man infirm, uh, with an infirmity is laid by the pool of Bethesda and he has hoped so much that one day somebody would just take pity on him and dip him into the healing waters as they were stirred. But no man helped him. No man. But Jesus Christ is no mere man. You see, as God, in human form, he had the power to heal when he said, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man received life into his legs. He walked away and he picked up his mat as if to show that he would never return to his former life of infirmity. The light from this incident is that we have new life in Christ. Romans 6, 4 tells us, walk in newness. Of life, You see, Jesus doesn't just rearrange our old lives. Who wants to have their life rearranged, smartened up a little bit? Yeah, lick a paint here and there, try and cover over some of the cracks. In England, we have wallpaper because of the cracks in the walls from time to time. Is that what you want? A life just patched up? No, 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 no. We're we're not interested in, in, in patching up the old things. We want new. Walk in newness of life. Jesus doesn't just rearrange our old life. He carefully replaces it with a brand new existence. Each new day, the Christian has the privilege of walking with Christ and serving Christ with joy and gratitude for all that he has done for us. Then we come to John 6, and we see that Jesus brings life to loaves of bread and fishes. Now, what's all this got to do with it? You see, true life cannot be found anywhere but in him. And Jesus tells us the answer when he called himself the bread of life. What light do we see in this miracle? We see Jesus. Yes, we look over all, the, we look everywhere. We try and find new life or an exciting life in many different things. We try drugs and alcohol and money. Give me more money and I'll be happy. Give me more money and I will never feel as bad as I have done before. Sex, pornography, entertainment, Food. Give me more food and I'll be happy. Give me more food and I'll be happy. This afternoon, I wondered if that was the the case that some of us were, did you see the size of some of the plates piled up? Wonderful. Give me more food and I'll be happy. And in doing all of this, we hope that the emptiness, we desperately want the emptiness to go. The loneliness that we feel we want it to go. The fear that we have, we want it to go. The hatred, the hatred that we have for other people, we want it to go. And we think that we can control this. But we can't. We blame others for the way that we're feeling. Why we feel angry and why we feel frustrated. It's someone else's fault. Like children in the schoolyard we point the finger at others and we hold them responsible for all that's wrong in our lives. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Because true life cannot be found anywhere else or in anything else or in anyone else. John 8, the scene has been set. A woman is dragged into the market square. You can imagine she's just cruelly thrown on the floor. She's thrown down at the feet of Jesus. According to the scriptures, it says that she's been caught in adultery. The man's not there. If she'd been caught in adultery, you can be assured that the guy would be there somewhere. Because you see, the whole thing was rigged. It was a trick. It was a trap to try and catch Jesus out. The religious leaders made it clear that the woman should be stoned, cruelly stoned to death. But it was their attitude that was completely at fault. What does Jesus do? He writes something in the dust. Perhaps he's fulfilling Jeremiah 17, 13. Those who depart from me, listen to these words, those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord. And wait for it, this is from Jeremiah 17. The fountain of living water. Our Lord appeals to the crowd and he simply looks up and says, he who is without sin among you Let him throw the first stone at her. And from the oldest to the youngest, they all left the scene. Our Lord Jesus did not condemn this woman, but he did command her to sin no more. You see, he loved her, not the sin. He loved her and he commanded her to sin no more. What a wonderful encounter. Here too is light. Christ is our justification. And then in John 9, John shows us that Christ gave his life to the dead. To dead eyes. Here's a man who's born blind. And he rejoices to see Christ who has anointed his eyes. For him, can you imagine the blazing light that shone in? Born without eyes. And suddenly he can see. And the light must have been absolutely overwhelming. Can you imagine never seeing anything at all? Not even darkness in that sense. And suddenly, his heart and life is filled with light. Not just any light but the light of Christ. There was now blazing new light and bounteous life in this man. And again, we're shown that Christ is the light of the world and He has promised to all who will follow Him that they will not walk in darkness. This is Jesus speaking. You follow Me. You trust in Me. You put your faith and your belief in Me. You will never walk in darkness. So why do people walk in darkness? Because they're afraid of the light of Christ. John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus. He's been dead and buried for four days. And Jesus stands at the tomb and he calls to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The stone's been rolled away and Lazarus comes walking like this. I've told you before it had to be because he's still wrapped in his grave clothes. Lazarus gets to the entrance and he sees the light of Christ. And then Jesus says, "Loose the clothes on him so that he can be free. And that's a picture of us too as sin And the way it strangles us, and the way it controls us, and the way it stops us from moving freely. Just ripped off. Like that game where you wrap someone up in a toilet roll. And all they do is... And that's what people need. Jesus gave life to a dead man, and in doing so, he revealed that he is the resurrection and the life. John 11, verse 25. It's tremendous. And then in the final stages of our Lord's earthly ministry, he again demonstrated the truth of this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. How this time? Jesus, in effect, gave life. To Barabbas. Have you ever considered that before? Fellow prisoner. Facing the death penalty. And Jesus gave life to Barabbas. Barabbas had done wrong. He deserved to die. But Jesus died in his place for him. What is the light here? It is that Jesus' life is indeed a saving life. You see, it is through his death that we have life. When Jesus died, he was actually paying the penalty for all our sin, providing the only way for forgiveness for us all. Only when we cling to him and his death, confessing our sin and trusting in Jesus, can we find God and new life. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And you know the verse, don't you? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Alexander White said, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. And he's absolutely right. And the greatest and the most exciting is when we start with Jesus. Because we have the light and the life The darkness is gone. Death has gone. Light has come. Life has come. If you have never recognized the life and the light offered by Jesus Christ, call to Him now to forgive your sins on the basis of His death for you. Ask Him to live in you. And through you on the basis of his resurrection. Then as a believer. You will have the privilege. And the duty. Of holding forth. The word of life. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 16. Let your light shine so shine before men. That they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray. And so our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, as we have spoken of the light and the life Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that. All of us here would have experienced the light. Of Christ. In our hearts and in our lives. That we would have turned away and said we don't want darkness anymore. We want to live in the light. It's painful to start off with. Because the light will expose sin. And we don't want to recognize that we're sinners. We've been fighting this all our lives and we've changed the rules to make it okay for us. And our country has changed the rules to make it okay for us. Even if the law says it's okay to take the life of a little baby in the one place that it should be protected, it's still sinful. We thank you for the encouragements that we've seen with the change of the law in the U.S. And Lord, we know that that country will be blessed because of what it has done. And we know that there are many other things in our lives which we might be able to say, well, it's okay because the law says I can do it. But according to your law, it's not okay. According to your love, it's not okay. According to who you are, it's not okay. And so I pray that each one of us here would finally allow the light of the Lord Jesus to dawn into our hearts that we would call out to him for forgiveness, that we would repent of our sin, that we would turn to him, that we would be able to experience the joy of knowing Jesus and that no longer would we be bound by the fear of this world, the fear of other people, regardless of what they say to us. Because we're safe in the everlasting arms of Jesus. Go with us, we pray in Jesus' name.